Okay, let's pray. And we'll look at Luke 24 today. Let's pray. Father, help me and help us. Help us with the plans that we believe you are leading us to do. Help us to continue to unify our church, to work together elbow, arm in arm, elbow in elbow, uh, with other churches and organizations. And we do pray for logistics as we're going to donate our pews, which you've given us so many years, to other bodies around the world. Give us grace in that. As we open your word, now help me. Let us not bask in one week of holy services and then just go, we'll see you at Christmas, Lord, or what we do sometimes, even me and my own heart. But let us learn from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So thank you for the housekeeping. If you're into titles, the title of the sermon today is, okay, so now what? Easter happened. Like I said, I'll see you at Christmas or Thanksgiving, Mother's Day. Right, moms? So now what? It's a good question. Oftentimes, pastors and church men and women are very disappointed in the Sundays after Easter towards Mother's Day. Why? Because most of the time, churches are really full, and the breakfast was wonderful, and the kids are great, and then we're kind of back to our normal lives. And often, in our normalcy, can be disappointment every day, right? Whether it's a new job, a personal relationship, many things in our life don't meet what? Expectations. If you work for someone who sits in the pews, don't raise your hand if you want to. How many of you in your current employment, your job has not met your expectations? My hand's down. But that's what I'm getting at. How many of you have relationships in your life, don't raise your hand, where sometimes your expectations are one thing, and usually for the better, by God's grace, the relationship turns out something else. But the point is disappointment reigns And that, especially in our culture, is one of the gateways, I would say, to all sorts of struggle and sin. Our own wrestling with, does God love me? Is he real? Is his plan working? Is it moving forward? And this has hampered, I would argue, the Western church largely the last 200 years since the Enlightenment for various reasons, but the prosperous church, right? Many of you have traveled around the world. Many of you have been to places where prosperity wasn't the number one reality of the culture. And in my estimation, visiting six or seven countries, we would say third world, disappointment is pretty low because expectations are often a little more, I'll say lower. I don't want to mean that in any way that demeans. On the first Easter, Jesus shows up seven miles from Jerusalem after he's risen. He shows up, and we'll read it, not totally looking like Jesus. Mark 16 actually says, taking on a different form. I don't know what form. I'm going to guess just a human being, okay? Because that is pretty clear from the text. But the point is, he is not being seen as the risen Lord. He is being seen as a normal person. Real quick, Luke 24, if you have your Bible, turn there. If not, we'll be on the screens. If you have it on your phone... No judgment. I got an iPad, right? You can, you can judge away down there, but no judgment, right? Luke 24, 10. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. What things? Remember, first Easter. The tomb's empty, gang. We were there. Remember? Mary, gardener, I don't know, but I saw Jesus. 
He's been raised from the dead. Verse 11, but these words seemed to them an idle tale. These were real people, people. Yeah, right, okay. What did you eat last night, Mary? What did you drink, ladies? That's what the men would have said. And they did not believe them. End of verse 11. Verse 12, but Peter rose, we saw that last week, and ran to the tomb, stopping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what happened. Peter has an inkling, he's marveling. That word in the Greek has many. Peter was in awe. We would like to say that he is in awe that Jesus is not there. Mary, in our other passage in John and a couple other places, she was fearing that the Romans had taken him initially, remember? Grave robbers, maybe. But Peter is marveling. No doubt that some of the disciples, the apostles, getting into that calling, we'll say, may have doubted, were heartbroken, were laden with disappointment and unmet, what? Expectations. Remember the sons of thunder. They got into a couple times, right? Hey, who's going to have the best seat? You? Me? When he's the king? When he takes over the temple? When he goes to Rome and kills everyone? Who's going to have the best seat? Me or you? I'm going to be really nice to him so I'll get the best seat. Remember when Jesus was mocked? Same gentleman would say, can we call down the nuke from heaven? Can we bring it down? And Jesus said, calm down. (laughs) Expectations of Messiah were different than what had taken place the last 72 hours. Nobody believed the Messiah would be killed by the oppressing government. Everybody believed the Messiah would come and kill the oppressing government. Everybody believed the Messiah who would come in the lineage of David would be like David and conquer and what? Destroy. So their expectations were what? Palm Sunday. Here we go. I don't know why he's on that stupid donkey, but where's the war horse? Let's go. Come on. Let's go. I've seen him do amazing things. He doesn't need a war horse. He can go poof and the whole place would be gone. They've seen this. These men and others will see, maybe 120 or 30, along with women who are following him, were wanting water to be turned to wine for political and theological overthrow. We're wanting bread to be multiplied, not to feed people necessarily, but to overthrow the Caesar and the empire so they could reign with him. That's a good thought, though. It's good to reign with a good ruler, right? I harp, I, I harp on empire because, in my opinion, and I'm not that well studied in history a bit, Every empire had fatal flaws, and it came at the hands of human beings. That's why I harp on empire, because I believe it's the way of the world system talked about all over the scriptures. The mob mentality. I was online early. Don't go online early on a Sunday, but I get these alert updates from Christian organizations and new organizations all over the world. And somewhere in Pakistan, a disabled man was mistaken to blaspheme, and people wanted to kill him, a thousand people. And I empathize with this man, one, because I've worked with people with disabilities. I have a daughter who is hard of hearing, but then my human nature came out, and when I saw a thousand people basically saying, I don't care if you made a mistake, I want blood, that is empire mentality. When human beings get together, we usually, 
at some point turned bloodthirsty. That's our history, that's all I'll say. So Jesus came to that place, earth, as Messiah, fulfilling all the scriptures we'll see in a minute, and he came to go to the cross and shed his blood to break the curse of sin and death and show us that God's kingdom is built a different way. It is not taken by what? Force. It's taken by sacrificial giving, the gospel. So this is the whole thing that's unfolding, and even those who are closest to him, let's read. Look at their words. We'll continue to read. Pastor spoke too much without reading the scripture. Amen, I'm here, okay? Back to Luke 24, verse 13. That very day, two of them, same day, were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem, that's what I said, and they were talking to each other about all the things that had happened. You ever get with a good Christian buddy or sister or whoever and just reminisce on God's goodness? Maybe it was summer camp, maybe it was a period in your life, maybe it was a trip, maybe it was a a movement of God that you were in for a short season, because those usually close, I hate to break everyone's, (laughs) but long-staying movements of God, as we've seen, are kind of monotonous at times. It's faithfulness. But God does move powerfully in many different ways. And there's the power. We'll talk about that as we close. But these guys are just rapping. Look at, remember all Jesus did? He would heal people and teach powerfully. And he told us not to repay violence with violence. He quoted the Old Testament and then upped it and basically said, the Old Testament isn't irrelevant, but it's been fulfilled. And he did all these things. And they were just having a good time. But in the back of their mind, they didn't really believe per se. They're like, but he's dead. Ultimate buzzkill. Best season of our lives, and it's over. So there's heartbreak and disappointment, okay? Verse 15, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Luke, in this account, he's a Gentile, He wasn't one of the bros per se. He is a doctor slash historian. He writes differently. He is communicating to us. He wants us to know that, that they were kept from seeing and recognizing Jesus for a reason for a short period. Verse 17, and Jesus, he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And look at the next part. And they stood still and what? Looked sad Most likely, pastor will do it, you don't have to, waffling in their heartbreak and what? Disappointment. And what was their disappointment founded on? Doubt and missed expectations. What was their expectation? We should be in the palace by now, man. I should be eating like one of those Romans or whatever we do. We all do it. Be a human. They're humans. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? So Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and Jerusalem were going off. Everyone knew about what was happening in and around the first Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Resurrection Sunday. It was the buzz. It wasn't uh, fake news. It was real news. And everyone's talking about it. Okay. Verse 19, and he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet 
mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. Verse 21, but we had hoped, here it comes, he was the one to redeem Israel. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. We are sad and we are undone and our disappointment reigns supreme because we hoped he was the one promised long ago to redeem Israel and Jesus didn't mic drop, he stone dropped and he redeemed Israel and all peoples who would come to believe. Josh gets it. Good job, Josh. The point is he was and is and is on the cross through the grave One death, the second Adam, redemption, but his plan of redemption is still saving people till the end of the age. So these people, his disciples, not the 11 now, but in his church, didn't get it. And for lots of reasons, they hope he would redeem Israel. But they're sad, and they're undone, And they are doubting per se and they are disappointed and they are just like you and I when expectations are not met and we miss it. It has now been the third day since these things happened. You see it there. Verse 22, moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. So they're still waiting for Israel's redemption, even though they have eyewitness testimony from women, sorry ladies, that he's alive. They still don't get it. We can deduce that even if he is alive, he still didn't redeem what? Us. When in fact that he went to the grave... And rose again was the very thing that redeemed us, Israel. We're all spiritual Israel, those who believe. Paul talks about that. So there's massive doubt, per se, missing it. And Jesus shows grace. Verse 24, if I misread it, I'll say it again. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found the woman and said, but but him they did not see. So here we go. Here's the verse Layla read. This stranger at this point speaks in verse 25. Go ahead. So he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Verse 26. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things to enter into his glory? Verse 27. And beginning with what? If you have a Bible, pick it up. Beginning with probably the fourth page in your Bible in this book, he started to teach them what the scriptures really meant. (laughs) Jewish nationalism was being put to death. Don't get uncomfortable. I just got to walk. It's good for me. Anger at the oppressors was being put to death. Religious, religiosity was being put to death. Hijacked religion was being put to death. And Jesus spent time with them, still not known as Jesus, explaining the prophets, the law, how it all testified to him coming, dying, being raised, and ushering in God's kingdom. 
If you've ever doubted, stop. These people were near Jesus for periods of time that we don't know. These people were in and around the area, and they still doubted. What I'm trying to say is, I get it. And our faith should be like the faith that we've seen of the centurion. I do believe, but Lord, help me in my what? Unbelief. Help me. Give me grace. Show me these things. So Jesus takes time. He begins to unpack. In maybe four or five or six hours, he gives the best seminary course on hermeneutics and exegesis ever known. He starts to go through the scriptures. Verse 28 So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going to go farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went to stay with them. We'll stop there for a sec. You ever been there with a brother or sister or just someone? You ever been there where you know we can say it this way, it's a divine appointment where things, I guess, have lined up and you are fellowshipping and there's warmth and harmony. It could be theological discussion about all God has and all he's done. It could be a human discussion where you just know the light of Christ is in this person and I, I see it and I want more. That's what's happening. Jesus is being technical. He's explaining. He's doing things. But there's also a kinship and a friendship founded in the gospel of grace and they're like, we need more. We need more of you. And not to get too, but that's how we are. We need each other, folks. When I am obeying Jesus, when I'm walking in the way he's instructing me to obey, I am putting forth for you and my family and others salt and light that your soul desperately needs Christ as you are doing to me, which my soul desperately needs. That's why sometimes those long standing relationships, even with distance and hardship, we show back up to each other and just go, brother, sister. And that's the beauty of this thing now we call church, community. And so Jesus has this fellowship. Obviously, they are undone with what he's saying, and they're saying, stay with us. Verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to him. Common, he instituted a few days ago, common, at this point, they're having a meal. Side note, pastoral side note, you want it? Someone say, I want it. Thank you. Whew, I If you're having a hard time with someone, if there's a relationship in your life that's not right, don't just have them over to a cold room and hash it out. Go have coffee or share a meal. There's nothing supernatural. There's no magic. There's no genie, Aladdin genie. But there is a fellowship when we sit down as human beings and break bread together, right? We kind of see each other on what? The same level. Because we all need to eat. And most of us like to eat, right? All of us. But there's a beautiful thing. Jesus takes bread, he breaks it, he blesses it, he gives thanks. And next verse, what happens? Their eyes are open to who they've been with. Uh-oh. They recognized him. And look at this. Look at sneaky Jesus. Look at the rest of the verse. He's gone. He's gone, right? He's gone. So what is Luke saying? Wouldn't Jesus sit down and say, I'm Jesus. I'm great. Come worship me in this way. 
This is not the way he chose to teach and usher in the kingdom. He chose to be glorified by taking on my burden and your burden, going to the cross, taking my punishment. He chose to go to the grave. He was vindicated and resurrected by the power of his father. He hung around for a while, but he still deferred attention. He didn't say, come worship me now, wherever everybody feel. He did it to a couple people who doubted, some of his boys. But they recognized him, and he was gone. But what does Luke record? What remained? What do you guys think remains, if you don't know the story? The blessed broken bread. Amazing. Next verse. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? Well, look at that last phrase, church. And this is where I'm going. And if it's grating against your flesh like it did the last two years of mine, come have coffee with me, we'll share a meal. Anyone or anything which opens up our hearts to the scriptures, which isn't filtered through the crucified life of Christ, is a false teacher and run away from him. That's all I'm saying. That's what it says. Anyone or anything, any movement that doesn't open up the scriptures and cause our hearts to burn, which isn't through the lens of the crucified Lord and resurrected Lord, will say, thank you. Don't, don't stone him. Thank you. But these gentlemen who were doubting, who were devastated, whose expectations were off, their hearts burned inside when Jesus explained the scriptures to them. Your heart ever burned when you learned about God? It's the most freeing, genuine, authentic thing that can ever happen to a human because you were created for it, so was I. I say it a lot. How many go to the Grand Canyon, Yosemite? Junior hires, are they still in here? They weren't there, they were down south. You go somewhere and your breath is taken away, your heart's burning because God has said, I'm here and I've created it and I'm for you. So your heart burns. Yeah, but Dave, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit wasn't given yet. So don't go there just yet. It's coming, he's coming. Their hearts burned when Jesus took the time to go, let me tell you about Isaiah. Let me tell you about Daniel. Let me tell you about Numbers. Okay, you wanna go to Zechariah? I'll go there too. Let me tell you all that was written that I fulfilled. And their hearts were on fire. And ultimately they were on fire. Why? Because Jesus is what God has to say. All of our religiosity, don't just blame the Hebrews back in the day, all of our Christian nationalism pales in comparison to what Jesus has to say. God has spoken finally, Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, before it was through the prophets and the law and different things, he has spoken finally through who? Jesus Christ, who is the exact nature, the exact icon, the exact imprint of who God is. And God has said, I have revealed myself in this way, and he has left us. Gosh, we should have taken communion today. I'm a loser. Your pastor's a loser. He has left it in this way, in this mystery of the gospel, breaking bread, blessing it, Jesus before our eyes and gone, and then he has what? Said, Come follow me. What is your pastor saying? Jesus Christ has given us a mandate. It is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love neighbors, even if we don't get along with them, 
as ourselves in order to show salt and light and tell them about the gospel of peace found in Jesus Christ. Okay, pastor, that's pretty abstract. I could go a lot of different ways with that. I could love them by putting on their house uh, invalid, they don't know God. That's not loving them, by the way. That's being a turkey. So then he went all over the scriptures, time and time again, and I'll say it again, and gave us what speech? The kingdom of God's speech. How to follow him. How to live in the path of peace. We have it succinctly in Matthew 5 through 7, and it produces things. We'll try and get there as I close, if I can find it. Like this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Here it is. Against such things there is no law. Paul writes that speaking to struggling Christians in the book of Ephesians wanting to He writes this in Galatians too. Wanting to return to the things of old. Maybe dealing with disappointment and sin because their expectations are different than what the Lord has offered. What are your expectations of Jesus? I'll close with this. That's a good question, right? We could write a blog and a book and everything else. Have you missed it? I missed it. I probably missed it. Can pastor be honest? I might have missed it for 25 years in my Christian walk. (gasps) I'm a pastor. Welcome to church. See you maybe next week, right? But often my expectations of the gospel are my projections of the gospel. What I put forward, whom I deem worthy of judgment and who I deem worthy of grace. And Jesus simply says, my kingdom is what? It's not of this world. If it was, I would fight differently. My people would fight differently. My kingdom is one Brick by brick as my kingdom is unfolding with people in it who are trying in all of their ability with God's grace solely seeing that and entering into that and ushering into that to wake up tomorrow and live for maybe an hour or two by the grace of God fulfilling the Great Commission, baptizing, teaching everything we know. Sharon is here. I work with Sharon. She does a great job. I can preach whatever I want on Sunday, but if I'm not salt and light to her, I should shut my mouth. If I'm not salt and light to Sharon, the one who I work with, on Monday through Thursday, have a guest preacher. Amen? Because what I'm getting at church is you have a mandate. I have a mandate to pursue Jesus, and that truly is the adventure. And my heart for us is we wouldn't miss it, that we wouldn't be disappointed that we wouldn't see Jesus show up and vanish and us go, oh, I'm still hungry. Because Jesus is alive and he is well. He has left us his broken body and his spilt blood. And his invitation is, I get it, come follow me. I'll say it all the time. If you're confused, go home and read Matthew 5 through 7. We'll have coffee. We'll break bread. We'll continue in this journey. These guys, disciples in the outer region of the disciplehood, hearts burned when Jesus unfolded the scriptures. When my heart burns for the Lord, I'll be honest with you, it probably should burn more than it does at times. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, love, 
self-control are evident to the people who are closest to me and hopefully to all of us. Why don't we stand? We're a little somber in the room. I was hoping for joy. This is good news. This is the resurrection power of our Lord. He showed up and gave a Bible study and said, go search the scriptures in this way. And then he's commissioned us 2,000 years later to do the same and go and do likewise. Let's pray. There's some food over there. Say hi to someone. Don't get blown away by the wind. And we'll join this Wednesday. I forgot we're having dinner. So, no, sorry, don't say that. Next Wednesday. I'm all messed up. That's next to that. Someone say, Pastor, pray. Ruth, say, Pastor, pray. It's okay. Say, Pastor, pray. Let's listen to Ruth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this account, this first Easter day account. Thank you for this long road where much was talked about between men and Jesus opened up the scriptures and human beings' hearts burned when he said, it's about me and my kingdom and what I'm doing. Help us see that, know that, love that. Give us a desire to see your word in that light and then go and be salt and light to be your hands and feet as we walk into this week. Father, I thank you for this congregation. Bless us and keep us. May your face shine upon us all the days of our life and be gracious to us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.